Welcome back to A Virtual View. Today I'm joined by Kasha Heyman, a lead data coordinator with the Indiana Rural Health Association. Kasha, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Danielle. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So as you said, my full-time position is as a lead data coordinator at the Indiana Rural Health Association. Through this full-time position, I mainly focus on maternal and infant health programming, specifically for the Healthy Start grant. Through that grant, we do a lot of case management. There are blood pressure cuff kit pilot projects. There's a food and nutrition project. So a lot of different things go into this grant, which has nothing to do with why we're talking about telehealth today. So, but I do want to talk a little bit about my education and to go back a little further. So my education, I have both degrees from Purdue University with an undergraduate degree in psychology and then a master's in public health. So I always like to tell myself about my degrees, or this is what I tell people is I chose the two fields that have like the vast amount of topics and interests that you can select. Like anything (laughs) under the sun, that's something that you can pick in public health or psychology. So thinking about public health, when I first got started, it was really in the community side of things. And then I took a couple data courses and really fell in love with data. So my interest really grew in graduate school and I changed my concentration to health statistics because I, I really did fall in love with data collection, analysis, and evaluation, especially after I took an evaluation course. And I think it's where my interest in telehealth kind of began based on a lot of the things that I'll, I'll talk to you guys to, about today. Yeah. And I will say that I have worked with you for a while now and it's always a joy to be able to talk with a fellow data nerd. It's it's very nice to hear. I mean, it's it seems like it's very like few and far between, but yeah. you know, we come out of the woodwork from time to time. <laughs> it's always fun to go over. Ooh, statistics. Ooh, evaluation. <laughs> it's a good sign. And then, it really is. And then you talk about, and then you bring in maps, and then oh, it's boy. over. <laughs> That's all the visualization. Yeah, yeah, it gets me. <laughs> So your experience with telehealth, you alluded to that briefly, but could you expand on that a little more? Yeah, sure. So I would say probably based on, you know, other telehealth experts that you have on your podcast, I would say my experience is a little bit of a different one in how I got here and probably not the usual route that people gain experience in the field because I will say this probably a couple times. I am not a telehealth or telemedicine expert. I really have observed telehealth experts in the field as I've done this project and just have gained experience through learning from other people. So anyways, it started a couple years ago when I was working with the Indiana Rural Health Association's fellowship program. Me and one of our coworkers at IRHA had a cohort that worked on a telehealth and libraries project. And I have never heard of a telehealth and libraries program before this. And their project focused specifically on an aging rural population. And again, I was just so fascinated by this. The amount of you know, libraries putting out telehealth and medicine projects or telehealth and telemedicine projects in their libraries. It was really fascinating. It was just such a different modality, I think, than what we were used to. And this was kind of the beginning of COVID when this whole thing started. So as my fascination increased, you know, there I, 
I had to look up articles and keep taking deeper dives into how librarians were bringing these healthcare services into their local libraries because we all know the, the funding isn't easy, I think, to come by for this. So how, how are they doing that? And then again, going back to how my evaluation brain works is, are people coming to these programs? Because you can build all of the programs you want, but just working in the grant world, are people, are people participating? Are they engaging? And is it necessary to have a program like this in your backyard? So Mm -hmm. all of these questions are coming to mind as the fellowship cohort is working through this and Again, I'm taking deeper and deeper dives. So me and my, we were co-mentors together on the project and she worked with me on this um, telehealth and libraries workbook. But so before we started the workbook or even, I mean, there was a, there was a pre-stage before that as well, but we worked with another Indiana agency on developing our own original telehealth and libraries project. And so, so many questions came up. It was, you know, one thing after another. And I think Throughout this process, it was learning a lot. I'm used to writing grants. And so you can write a grant from start to finish and you're like, this is this is the timeline. This is how it's going to work. But when you don't have that funding and you're kind of just creating this program from the ground up, it can go anywhere. You would say, okay, we have this agency in place and they're interested in this program. And all of these librarians, they, they want to implement this program. But then all the other questions about what providers are going to be on the other line, what's the reimbursement look like, what's HIPAA look like. And so all of these questions are coming to the forefront that make it really confusing and convoluted into implementing this program. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the, the first hand experience. And then building onto that, we stepped back from working on that project and started thinking more about how we can help others implement a telehealth and libraries project. Because of the amount of time that we spent working on it, how can you develop tools that people can use freely to develop and implement these programs successfully? Again, uh, my brain, the, the wheels kept turning. And so I was I was going to webinars and mulling over these questions and got connected to a lot of different interesting people that were in this field. And so again, further helping my experience and gaining experience in telehealth it's, it's how I gained more experience without being directly involved with a telehealth and libraries project. So actually, interestingly enough, I attended a webinar. I, I loved the speaker. I thought she was fascinating. And that is how I met one of my main partners on the project. So you never know what's going to happen. And so it was just funny how it all worked out. And a couple of years later, we're still very engaged into working on this project after me just reaching out to somebody and being like, hey, do you want to talk? It all worked out very nicely. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, you got to love being able to make professional connections, but based on like a shared interest. That's always so much fun. And you did mention something earlier that I wanted to touch on before we do a deeper dive into the implementation workbook. So you said that you're not an expert in telehealth. And one of the things that's interesting about this field is that because it's so new and developing so rapidly, Everybody brings such a different expertise and experience to telehealth. And you have people who are experts in one aspect, but maybe don't know anything about another aspect. So, you know, you are a telehealth expert about telehealth and libraries and, and free implementation and all that good stuff. It's it's so funny you say that, too, because I'm one of those people that suffer from the imposter syndrome, you know? So <laughs> it's funny when you work on this and then people call you an expert and you like step back and you're like, 
wait, what? <laughs> so it is kind of cool to hear that. And I do forget how new telehealth really is because mm-hmm. I've been in it for a couple of years now. So it's interesting to be like, oh, that's true. And there's so many different avenues and aspects of it that, you know, someone could be an expert in, in this way and they have no idea what to do in, in a library setting or in a more public health designed program. So let's chat a little bit about the telehealth and libraries pre-implementation workbook. So what is that? So the workbook is a final toolkit that guides librarians and community partners through a series of activities and data collection efforts to improve the understanding of the unmet healthcare needs in the community. So there's several sections that we created throughout this. There's a couple activities. So say, for an example, just to explain it a little bit, we have a community mapping activity. So you start with the agency who wants to implement this program preferably or most likely a library, and then you identify all of their agencies that they work very closely with, and then you go out and create a bigger network of other agencies that work with those first agencies. So as you're walking through this this workbook, you kind of start with identifying those partnerships or possible partnerships. Then you kind of go towards the surveys. So there are three surveys and I will get into the surveys in a little bit. This was this was the goal. Like the three surveys was the goal. And then the workbook walks you through those three surveys. Then there is another section that talks about what you do with data analysis how you use those surveys to identify gaps, see what kind of program fits best within your community. And then there are resources that we have put together based on our focus groups. So I'll talk a little bit more about our focus groups here in a little bit and and how they helped us develop this workbook as well. And so really the overarching purpose or goal of, of the workbook is to have those data collection efforts assist in establishing those necessary community partnerships. The whole thing always goes back to community partnerships and how important that is because you can't just run a program without any partnerships, especially in these kind of settings because you need multiple people because the library can say, well, we want to have this program, but if you don't have providers on the other end of the line, then you don't have anyone serving the community. And if if those the providers that you do have on the other line aren't necessary or needed for the community as a whole, then it's not going to work out. So the goal is to collect all of those partnerships and have those all identified before you really truly get into what that looks like. And then we also really wanted to identify which healthcare services are needed and or already available in the target community. So the goal really was thinking about rural communities as a whole, and a lot of them don't have specialized care or other mental health resources, things like that, that you might have to go outside to other larger um, more urban or suburban counties to for, for those services. So the primary audience for this, so the people who are going to be picking this up and looking at this, is it just folks in libraries or who is this intended for? The, the original intended audience really is the library staff because it seemed like when when we were first developing the telehealth and libraries program, the library directors wanted this type of programming with, within their, their libraries. However, that doesn't stop at the libraries, though. So anyone could use the workbook. So if there are other community agencies, especially nonprofits, that are looking to support libraries and then other healthcare initiatives, they would be absolutely able to utilize this workbook and put it into 
into their goals and objectives within their grant or healthcare organizations and providers can use this as well. It really just depends on when you get to that data collection aspect, where do you start? And who starts with what? And then you really have to determine who has the capacity to analyze that data and and kind of synthesize all of that information that you receive from the community and the healthcare providers and the libraries. The fun stuff. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little about the partners who helped you create this, because I'm sure you had quite a big hand and a big role in developing this, but who else was there uh, alongside you helping you create this workbook? So the the main one where we we got started on the, the workbook and the survey development, her name is Pam DeGuzman. She's a nurse scientist at the University of Virginia Health and associate professor at the University of Virginia in the School of Nursing. She is the one that I reached out to during that first webinar who really got me interested in this. I like to think of her as my mentor through this entire thing. She's a wealth of knowledge and it has been so much fun to work together to just throw ideas back and forth to see what what happened. And then in addition, we have uh, Zach Ward, who is an assistant professor of health administration at the University of Southern Indiana who has helped out greatly with this project as well. And then Tina Elliott, who is a senior director at Indiana Rural Health Association, has been with me through this entire project. So that's really the main or, I guess, core group of individuals that have worked on the on the workbook and toolkit and surveys and all of that from start to finish. But as I said, keeping everyone in suspense, we did hold a couple of focus groups. And I don't want to pass up on acknowledging the the individuals that were in our focus group, because without their assistance and guidance and feedback, we wouldn't have had the workbook. So like I said, initially, we just had the surveys. And I think naively, we thought we were just going to post surveys online and be like, have fun and good luck. And it seemed like there needed to be something more that people were like, well, what do we do with these? We, you know, there needs to be an an end or like some kind of finish line. And so after thinking through all of their feedback, it was there, there needs to be a workbook and or toolkit that people could kind of walk through and make sure that they're getting the answers that they need to so they can successfully implement this program. So I will say the people that were a part of this, they were a part of the National Working Group of Telemedicine in Libraries. And so it's a it's a group that was started from really the people that were in the frontier of telehealth and libraries. They had started projects several years ago. They had successful projects. And it was amazing to see how many people were interested in being a part of our focus group. So Pam and I just attended one of their meetings and or we told them about the program and what we were doing in the surveys. And we said we would like to have a focus group of however many people, if you're interested, please send us an email. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, maybe one or two people would be interested. And that really wasn't the case. It was it was six to eight of them that were really interested and bought into our project. And so it was really cool to have that support. And I do want to say I enjoyed that it was a, a countrywide representation of the group too. So it wasn't just, you know, a group that had 
started a group, a telehealth and libraries project out east. You know, we had people, representation from South Carolina, from Texas, from Utah, and then, you know, us in, in the Midwest area. So it was awesome to have all that. And learning from them was a really great opportunity for us as well for, for developing a workbook that hopefully will be really useful. I think it's really cool that your project sort of exemplified one of the best aspects of telehealth, which is the connection. You were able to connect with people all over the country with remote communications technology. Presumably you weren't flying to all of these locations. I think that's really awesome that you were able to utilize something that's one of the cornerstones of telehealth to perform this telehealth project. So I think that's at the risk of sounding like saccharine. That's very uh, inspirational in some ways. I like that. And I honestly didn't think about that. I think when you're using technology, it's just been so like a custom and a part of our lives now that you don't even think about the the people that you are meeting across the country or the world and mm-hmm. how you're connecting and networking and, you know, learning from each other. Although I will say I wouldn't have hated visiting any of their locations because <laughs> they also live in very cool states. We're both in Indiana, so we never say no to being able to take a trip. <laughs> Yes, I will go to the ocean or the mountains all anytime. <laughs> I will Get be happy. Something, something aside from <laughs> cornfields in here. Yes, yes, from time to time. So when you were developing this workbook, did you come across anything particularly surprising that stood out to you? Really, honestly, so much did. This project has really been a couple years in the making. I can't even remember when we, like exactly when we started this project, but it has been a couple of years and it has been so many curveballs because, again, being naive, we thought this project would be quick and out the door. You know, we thought we're going to develop these three surveys and we're going to be done and we're not going to worry about it. When it turned into the workbook, we're like, this is going to be no time. Like, this is going to be quick and we're going to have this out the door. And then that turned into we had another focus group. And then we had to go back and kind of start from scratch. But I think the main surprise was really how surreal it felt to finish this project. And then the excitement behind disseminating the first version of the workbook. Because it was such a long time coming that we're like, wait, wait, this is finished and people could see it. And it was really cool when... You know, there was there was other webinars that all of us had independently from each other working in a partnership or we spoke, you know, at conferences or something about the workbook. And and another cool thing was how many people were actually interested in it and how many people asked for it. And I think that was something very surprising because of just the length of time, again, of how and how much time we spent working on it. It, it was just part of our regular like lives. And so the fact that other people were just as excited to use it or see it and kind of just walk through it was a really cool feeling. So we we are really hopeful that at least someone, at least one group wants to use it. That is definitely a goal of ours. Yeah, I've already gotten interests from people in my sphere. So hopefully we will see a lot of folks uh, utilizing this resource you put together. So let's zoom out just a little bit and talk about the concept of alternative telehealth access points in general. So why are these so important? 
Sure. Yeah, this is a good question. Well, especially with the terminology, it's it's an interesting it's it's interesting terminology because I never really thought about telehealth and libraries being an alternative telehealth access point. But I think what I fail to remember is that I have broadband at my house, so that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the same way or the same case for everyone across the country. So I think this question is really important. Again, after learning more from the true telehealth experts, (laughs) I I do find them very important, mostly for access to care and connection to the world. So really, this includes ensuring that all community members have the best opportunity for the health care that's available to them. And going back to even if they don't have a local specialist or service provider to provide care for their certain condition, but they do have access to that affordable and available care. We want to make sure that everyone has that access because other areas really do and some don't. We want to make sure that having those ultimate telehealth access points, that's what that's creating is that we're closing those gaps on that access to care. And why is that something that's so important when we're looking at rural communities? In those rural communities, they have lack of availability of necessary healthcare services as is. Mm-hmm. And especially you say rural, and then you think about, you know, I think about Indiana. Indiana rural is very different than when you think about out west rural. You know, and because then you go into that frontier land, so it just gets exacerbated further and further, which is a scary situation, I think, thinking about healthcare services in general, because it say someone has a specialty care need. And so they need their oncology care services or even reproductive health care services, because as we know, I mean, even in Indiana, we have many OB care sites closing in the hospitals. So, you know, there these hospitals are left without OB. Where are these women going? They have to travel over a half hour, an hour to get to their OB care. So if there is not that alternative access point, how are they getting their regular prenatal care screenings? And then that leads to exacerbated health outcomes that we do not want. So it's important to have those access points in place in those rural communities and have people be comfortable with using them. So that way people can get that access to care. Because I do know it is difficult for people to, to feel comfortable with technology. So I do feel like having those alternative telehealth access sites are particularly important because of that access to care. We want to make sure that people have those options available to them and regardless of their condition. So I think that through that continued development of technology, we enhance those telehealth access points because we want to make sure it benefits all the community members from infants to seniors you need different equipment as well. So that's what I mean when I say enhance alternative telehealth access points because infants are going to need different equipment available to them for those telemedicine visits versus seniors or someone with a more critical health condition such as cancer. I think when we talk about this, it's important to consider the existing digital divide as well. Folks who have access to technology and broadband They don't need these alternative access points because, like you said, they've got their broadband at home. They can do this at home. Or maybe they live in an area where it's more convenient for them to go and get care in person. But when we're looking at these rural areas, particularly ones like out west and when we're dealing with like tribal populations, that kind of thing. It's so important to be cognizant that this really is a lifeline in some cases. And that's another reason why I really like that you 
worked with people all over the country to develop this because you weren't just looking at it from the standpoint of here's Indiana's needs or here's the Midwest's needs even. You're here where's the country's needs look like? What do people in all different communities need from these sort of access points? And I think that's really important. So why are libraries in particular so well suited to being these alternative telehealth access points? Before this project, I did not realize how libraries do it all. They truly do (laughs) it all. And I grew up visiting the library. My Grammy would take me all of the time to check out books and attend children's programs, including going in the summertime to do all the reading goals. And then you were, you won prizes. And um, I still use the local library now to check out books through one of my, the app on my phone, which is super cool. But again, learning that libraries can do so much more than that. They're an excellent alternative telehealth access point because the expertise of the library directors and librarians, there are a wealth of information and they can help assist and teach individuals with understanding how to use technology for a telehealth program, which is huge, especially for populations or individuals who do not know or are not comfortable with technology. There is someone right there that can help them through that and make sure that they're accessing you know, their provider or they understand how to use the equipment that they need to connect to so that way their metrics are talking to their doctors. And then in addition to that, libraries provide a secure, safe location for telehealth visits to take place. So you do need something secure because this, you know, your provider is getting your information and your protected health information. So you want to make sure that you are in a location that other people are not listening to and you feel comfortable being in that space without, you know, people walking by. And that is a, that's a great opportunity for libraries and and why they're a perfect location for that. And then in addition to that, telehealth and libraries projects, they can really, they can be anything. I've talked to groups that, you know, they have a maternal child health program where they use a, like a mobile clinic to access, you know, the providers and the community health workers are working with the people to make sure that the women are accessing the resources that they need. And so that kind of connects with the libraries and librarians as well, because they can also do it all. So you can create any kind of project you want and that would go perfectly as long as it fits with with your community and what, what they need. So again, libraries are a wonderful uh, resource to the community. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the future of this project before we hop off for the day. So do you see any next steps for the workbook? Oh, yes. Yes. So again, my <laughs> my partners and I, we have enjoyed this project so much. And And the funny thing about this project is it's not a funded project. So we just enjoy getting together, talking to other people, learning more about telehealth. And so our next steps, and this is the one I have been waiting for, is the evaluation side of things. We want to check and and learn and understand that this workbook is useful. People want to use it. People have used it successfully. What programs have been implemented by it? What does that data look like? I mean, that is really, truly what we're looking for um, moving forward. We want to make sure it's valid and reliable and that groups will continue to use it. So along with that, we would also love to have feedback from groups that have used it to see where are the downfalls, where are the opportunities for growth. So this might be a lofty goal, but we'd really like to have library groups pick up this workbook, utilize it, and then reach out to us to let us know their experience. So that really is, that's that's the dream. 
<laughs> well, I'll make sure to put the link to the libraries, uh, the, the, the workbook, as well as all of your contact information in the description of this podcast. So if anyone does have questions, comments, concerns, they can get back to you with those. <laughs> That would be great. Thank you. And yeah, we we appreciate all of the questions and any comments. And people can also reach out on LinkedIn through the National Work Group of Telemedicine and Libraries. There's a little function on LinkedIn where you can send a message and send any questions through there. We would be happy to answer anything that people may have to say. Yeah, that's great. And I do think it's great that this is a project that came together not out of any desire for funding or through any like higher mandate like this was something that you all collaborated on just because you're like this is something that would be good for the telehealth community as well as a lot of local rural communities so why we created this and and why we continued to do it without any means of funding was so that way we can create this resource that would be free and widely available to everyone. We didn't want it to have we didn't want it to be behind a paywall. We wanted to make sure that anyone could use it because you know there there's so many resources that you find online and you can't use them because they're behind a paywall and you're like, this is not going to be very helpful for anyone. So that was not the goal for us. We wanted to do this because we we want to make sure people have access to care and that other groups know how to create a program and, and hopefully have the tools that they can successfully implement it. Well, Kasha, I really appreciate you hopping on today and giving us a little more information about a really cool project. Thanks so much, Danielle. It was nice to be here. listening to a virtual view. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Tristan Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under HRSA's Office of the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of, or the position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.